0: We are leveraging our relationships with federal, state, and local law enforcement partners, using our tools at our disposal to find and bring everyone involved in last week's criminal activity to justice. We're looking at significant felony cases tied to sedition and conspiracy.
1: Hello, I'm Jason Dick, and this is The Transition, a special edition of Political Theater. It's Tuesday, January 12th, 2021. The Capitol is on high alert, and the District of Columbia is under an emergency declaration as law enforcement agencies and the National Guard prepare for the January 20th inauguration. The FBI is warning of nationwide armed protests at state capitals in the coming days, and law enforcement officials at both the local and federal level are bracing for violence in the days leading up to Joe Biden's inauguration. Want to know how tense things are? For the first time, magnetometers will be installed at the entrances to the House floor. A response to some lawmakers saying they will carry firearms wherever they please, even though they're not supposed to bring those things into the chamber. That's right, the threat here is from lawmakers themselves. This all comes at a time when the top law enforcement officers on Capitol Hill have all resigned since the January 6th attack on the Capitol. Turning over your top officers at a vulnerable Episode like the one we're going through right now has left some lawmakers to try and fill in the gaps. It hasn't been pretty. The Washington Post reports that the FBI has warned Capitol Police in the days before the riot to expect extremists to engage in war. Staff writer Chris Marquette covers Capitol Police for CQ Roll Call. Chris, uh, welcome to Political Theater.
0: Thanks for having me. So, let's start
1: with just sort of the basics. Um you've been covering Capitol police for a couple of years now. Have you ever seen a situation that is as fluid and tense uh, as as what is going on right now at the capitol?
0: I have never seen something like this ever in my life. period.
1: So, what's going on right now? I mean, like the the you know there is an acting police chief um who uh, has replaced Stephen Sund. The, uh, two sergeant at arms who oversee Capitol police, uh, in the house and Senate, they resigned last week. There is a new, uh, there, there are new sergeants at arms who have just stepped in. Um, you know, that could be short term as well, but, the this situation where they're preparing for inauguration I mean usually that's a, a feat in itself trying to figure out just the di- all the different agencies that need to coordinate for something as big as the inauguration uh at, what what has been the reaction from the lawmakers and the staffers too uh, who you've talked to as they prepare for not just the inauguration but the possibility of, of protests that could be uh, as violent as what we saw on
0: January 6th yeah, so just to give you an idea of, of the complete shakeup that's going on within the Capitol Police is the Capitol Police reports to a three-member uh, Capitol Police board, uh, which, as you noted, you know, is comprised of, uh, you know, the two sergeant-at-arms of the House and the Senate and then the architect of the Capitol, Jay Brett Blanton. The only uh, member of that board who has survived uh, Wednesday's riots is Jay Brett Blanton. And that gives you an idea of just, you know, how uh tumultuous uh this time is right now for leadership uh of capitol police. And you know, obviously as you mentioned, uh Chief Sund uh stepped down. He resigned on uh effective uh Friday night and uh Yogananda Pittman um is, is the acting chief but the uh, the union um uh, chair Gus uh Papatanasio uh, uh called for uh the resignation of both Pittman and assistant chief uh Chad Thomas. Uh, and, you know, I asked Chairman, uh, Tim Ryan, uh, this question yesterday. He's the legislative branch appropriations, uh, chair. Um, and he, he basically said he agreed with Gus, uh, you know, back when Gus, uh, and the union called on their, uh, Pittman and, and Thomas's resignation, uh, last Thursday. Uh, but what happened was, uh, you know, he, he basically said, you know, as, as it stands right now, we need to kind of, you know, use the pieces that we have in place and, 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 uh, you know, Move forward through this inauguration and throughout this tumultuous time with the play, the pieces that we have in order now, and and kind of you know take it take a step back you know when there's some time to breathe. But right now, I mean, as you mentioned, there's there's tons of uh, of security threats that are that are um, that are serious and and potentially imminent, as uh, you know other outlets have reported uh, against the Capitol. and 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 people are nervous. Uh, staffers that I've spoken to. Who were present in the Capitol? Uh, one, one one staffer that who was present in the Capitol uh, told me, um, you know, yesterday we were you know kind of walking around um, the Capitol, and you know that per- the staffer was looking out the window and 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 kind of getting jittery at uh, some protesters that were outside and, and police action. You can tell uh, there is a sincere sense of trauma uh, around around people. Uh, who have you know staffers, lawmakers, press alike, who who were present during that interaction, and and I think I, I, I think there's a lot uh, a lot of a lot of uh, you know terrified people on Capitol Hill right now who are really scared about what could happen.
1: Now. Um... The, a lot of the folks who have been uh, briefed on the security situation, the Speaker uh, and and other top uh, Democratic leaders, uh, and have, have been briefed by Capitol Police. Uh, in you know today, there's an all Senators briefing uh, with the Secret Service and the Justice Department, the Defense Department, and so forth. So I mean, they're they're obviously the those a lot of those members are going to be asking tough questions. They're not sharing that with us. But what do we what are we expecting in the coming days? Uh, in 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 terms of what are you going to be looking for uh, in in the way that you know you cover Capitol Hill because it's just it seems almost a little overwhelming um, and and I'm your editor so I have to figure that out too right
0: <laughs> yeah so uh, yeah it's, it's, things are extremely fluid every every you know member and staffer who I talk to is you know exasperated and extremely tired um, uh, I mean just the sense of uh, you know people are just burnt out right now stressed out scared about uh, their colleagues and 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 their bosses and uh, like basically what's going on right now is I mean what I can tell you is a source close to uh you know with knowledge of the investigations into the capitol police officers uh, has told uh, CQ roll call that uh, you know, there is an expectation uh, that there could be, uh, you know, an inspector general investigation into these Capitol police officers and their conduct on January 6th. Um, that's not, you know, it, it's, that's not to say that an inspector general uh, investigation has been undertaken, but, but you can, we can expect to see that in the coming days um, and weeks and uh, you know, the congressional uh, congressional staff along with their bosses are uh, formulating plans uh, to, hold, you know, kind of get on, honestly get to the bottom of what happened on Wednesday, whether or not there were some uh, bad actors on the inside is, is a serious question that uh, people, uh, you know, lawmakers want answers to Tim Ryan mentioned, you know, there were uh, on a press call, there were, there, there were two uh, officers suspended CQ roll call later reported that there are, uh, there are three uh, officers suspended and, you know, a total of, uh, eight investigations into 17 United States Capitol police officers, some of which were, um, seen photograph, uh, taking selfies with, uh, the violent, uh, rioters. And, uh, another, another one was, uh, said to have, uh, put on a, uh, MAGA hat and, uh, and, and kind of, um, directed, helped direct the mob there's a lot of unanswered questions right now about, about what the role of these, uh, of these, of these police officers was in the, uh, in the interaction.
1: And, you know, obviously the, the, there's a lot of tension there because, you know, we're, you know, we and lawmakers and staff are all expecting, you know, these officers to protect the Capitol, uh, you know, just even during like normal times, uh, much less this sort of heightened sense of security uh, that we're under right now and and with the inauguration. So, um, you know, look forward to the rest of your reporting and uh, thanks for keeping uh, keep an eye out for us. Thank you. Meanwhile, the House is voting on two measures prompted by President Donald Trump's incitement of his supporters to storm the Congress. The House votes Tuesday night on a resolution requesting that Vice President Pence invoke the 25th Amendment and declare Trump unfit for office. And on Wednesday, the chamber is slated to vote to impeach Trump for inciting the mob. A second impeachment would be unprecedented. Many Republicans are continuing to stand by the president, though even as he has refused to take responsibility for his actions regarding the riot. They're condemning the violence, but not the people who committed the violence. Todd Ruger, our uh, senior writer who covers legal affairs and courts, has today's grammar lesson about this. Todd, welcome to Political Theater.
2: Hi, thanks, Jason. Good to be here.
1: So so let's talk about um, what you found when you tried to figure out exactly how Republicans were were. Doing this little bit of uh, of uh, English language jujitsu, if you will, in in avoiding actually naming the people, mainly Republicans and pro Trump supporters, uh, who you know instituted an attack on Congress that left five people dead, including a Capitol police officer. Right.
2: Uh, Well, when I started looking at how uh, Republicans were reacting to this uh, mob, the uh, I started with Josh Hawley, a Missouri Republican senator. Uh, who was the first to announce that he would move to ob- reject some electoral votes, uh, the votes from Pennsylvania, which Joe Biden won, um, that other Republicans had encouraged everybody not to object to, and um, after he made that announcement, there were some protests outside of his house uh, that he criticized uh, for for um, being violent and um, and scary for his wife and kid, uh, and he had no problems at that point saying that it was Antifa that was doing these protests. You know, Antifa is doing this. They're scaring us. Um, they should stop. Once the mob uh, attacked the Capitol, however, he was much less direct. Um, and he uh, he ended up putting out one statement about that, and he said, these acts of violence were criminal. They, meaning the acts of violence, must be condemned. And they, meaning the acts of violence, must be prosecuted. And so none of that is at all controversial. um, But it's a great example of how lawmakers, and and they do this on both sides, and it's a well-worn path, but how lawmakers can use this language, uh, the passive voice, a focus on acts instead of actors, um, and a vagueness uh, that can that can make them sound like they're making a statement or condemning somebody without actually doing it.
1: So, Todd, do you have any idea how happy you make me as a former English teacher who still likes to diagram sentences uh, with this with this reporting? <laughs>
2: well, you know, it's 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 uh, it's interesting because you and I, when we're going through mem- statements from members of Congress, all the time. Are always looking at it to try to say what are they really saying, what are they actually saying, and so when you go through and you start looking at these, um, you can see that that the passive voice and is is used throughout them. For example, um, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, he uh, went on the floor after these attacks, and he had a he had a description that said police officers were attacked. <laughs> you know, so so it wasn't that the a mob of Trump supporters attacked police officers or a mob the mob it was that police officers were attacked, um, and and you can contrast that with a statement from, for instance, uh, Utah Senator Republican Senator Mitt Romney, who said that night that um, it was Trump supporters who did this and what happened today here was uh, incited by the president of the United States. And then you had uh, Wyoming rep, uh, Liz Cheney, a Republican. She leads the House Republican Conference even. And she, um, she said, there's no, quote, there's no question that the president formed the mob, the president incited the mob, the president addressed the mob, he lit the flame. And that, now that's a great example of you know, ascribing action to the person that did it very directly and clearly rather than being vague.
1: And, and with Liz Cheney, we're not talking about some uh, squishy liberal rhino. We're talking about Dick Cheney's daughter. <laughs>
2: Correct. And, and I think that's what's so interesting about looking at how the different Republicans um, did this. You know, usually you can look at a Republicans versus the Democrats. And of course, the Democrats are saying it was a Trump-inspired mob. And of course, the Republicans are downplaying that it was the Republican supporters who were doing it. But in this case, you you have a, a something that was... Uh, incredibly divisive to the party. I mean, you had basically a 50-50 or two-thirds, one-third split among House Republicans as to whether to reject the electoral results from two states, the only two states that they could actually vote on. They said, let's get rid of these results. So it's something that divided the caucus, and and that's when you can really get clarity into how these people are uh, addressing the actions that happen.
1: And, uh, you know, the, the thing that I have been interested to see is that law enforcement officials uh, have not had any difficulty in, in describing, like, blame or saying that they will prosecute people who uh, trespassed and vandalized and assaulted people who came to the Capitol that day. You were um, monitoring a, a, a DOJ U.S. attorney's um, press conference earlier today. Uh, what... How did they refer to the people uh, who uh, stormed the Capitol last week? Well, there's a big
2: there's a big difference between uh, federal prosecutors and the FBI who are who who don't have necessarily have political aspirations. Uh, you know, the Ted Cruz's and the uh, Josh Hawley's, uh are are thought to be looking to run perhaps for the White House in 2024, and so they don't want to um, they don't want to have any statements where. Um, Republican supporters could say, oh, look, you abandoned Trump at his time, and, and they, you know, they have plausible deniability. Now, the, the prosecutors today, um, they are saying there are uh, essentially the Capitol grounds outside and inside is a crime scene, a scale that they have never seen before, literally thousands of potential witnesses, hundreds of criminal cases they're expecting in the, in the coming weeks. They've already charged more than 70 people. They have 170 cases open on on people suspected of committing crimes. Those crimes are uh, a range, um, all the way from murder, uh, felony murder because of the uh, death of the U.S. Capitol Police officer, and uh, all the way just to criminal trespass. But then they also have pipe bombs that uh, were put near the uh, Republican and Democratic headquarters right near the Capitol, and they're still searching for, for whoever did that. And so they're right now. They're making minor arrests, but they say that they've got a task force that's built um, to to look at sedition, uh, bigger bigger charges, conspiracy charges. Um, and they say that it's going to be they're in there for the long haul. This is going to take not days, not weeks, but months, uh, just because of how many people were involved and how big the crime scene is, how many witnesses there are.
1: And not a lot of passive voice deployed, uh, in, in, no. and <laughs> in, the, in the charging documents.
2: <laughs> no, um, the, you know, there they have to they you know they they have to deal with um, facts, and they have to present it to a grand jury, and um, and so there's a lot more uh, constraints on on law enforcement than there is on a politician who's just putting out a press release.
1: And getting back to the the members who are sort of dancing around and using this mushy mealy-mouthed, you know, uh language, passive voice and so forth. Um I mean, just as as somebody who writes and edits for a living, um I I find it sort of highly offensive. But in it's also occurs to me that the effect that they may they may be trying to dance around not offending people, but the effect of that kind of language is usually um, a, a bit lukewarm in general. They're not—they're not really fooling anybody that they're not saying anything. I mean, and, and even with like the one of the things that I th- that I I think that is interesting about the president and his use of rhetoric is that he does identify people. He there isn't a lot of passive voice, uh, even like as he is. Uh, not taking responsibility for what for what he did, uh, he's using very direct language, and you know, people re- do respond to that, um, even if it leads to tragic consequences, like it did in this case. But it doesn't seem to me that if by by um, basically depriving uh, sentences of subjects uh, <laughs> that you are are going to really win over a lot of fervent uh, support for a political campaign in the future.
2: That's true. But one of the things I think you can say about Trump, Donald Trump is that he's very vague. He never really details anything out. You know, he just says it's really horrible or it's the worst ever. You know, one of the things that um, other Republicans did.
1: Was, or the best ever, Todd. Or the right? best ever, yeah.
2: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> The biggest witch hunt in history, you know, but he doesn't really detail that much about it. Um, the, so, so one of the things that Republicans also did right in the aftermath of this was to broaden what they were talking about to encompass things that they could then attack. Uh, that they that they were the Democrats, you know. So you have uh, Josh Hawley who gets on the floor after this attack. He's facing a lot of pressure now to abandon his effort to reject the uh, uh, results of the Pennsylvania election, and and he's and he is under pressure to address the violence that just happened, you know, an hour earlier. And he says. When he gets to the floor, he says, "I just want to acknowledge when it comes to violence, it was a terrible year in America last year." (laughs) So immediately he expands it to not just in the last hour this attack, but let's talk about violence over the last year. And he says, "We've seen a lot of violence against law enforcement, and today we saw it here in this country. Violence is not the answer," kind of thing, you know. Um, violence is not how you achieve. So he, he turned the attack on the Capitol by his own supporters into, Hey, let's talk about how Antifa or the, the Democrat, Democrat people that Democrats are supporting were attacking police officers this summer, you know, so, but he didn't actually say that either. He just left it vague and open and alluded to it enough that he and his supporters know what he's saying and, uh, who he's blaming and who he's not blaming.
1: Passive voice, dog whistling—you might call it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, Todd, uh, I, I appreciate you uh, doing this. As as uh, as I said before, you do an old English teacher's heart uh, well with with stuff like this, and I and I do think that it is important too uh, to look at how language is utilized because so much of what we are seeing, whether it's on Twitter or on the on the floor of the House and Senate, um, you know, language is being deployed in. Here goes the passive voice. Language is being deployed uh, for for purposes that you know can turn in, the, in like in this case, pretty tragic.
2: Yeah, so, stories stories were written, stories were read,
1: <laughs> statements <sense>. were made, <laughs> statements were made, and and I just want to apologize right off the bat for my inadvertent. I did catch myself use of passive voice. Uh, I'm I'm on uh, I'm on uh, alert now for that. Uh, Todd, thanks a lot. Sure, thanks for having me. And that's going to do it for today's edition of The Transition. Uh, On behalf of the CQ Roll Call Newsroom, thank you for listening.